most famous sermon ever given by Jesus, uh, and we've titled this series, Kingdom Life in a Fallen World. Remember that the sermon about is actually directed to two believers, two disciples. How do you live this kingdom life in this fallen world? We are in the world and yet not of the world. And so how are we supposed to live in this tension? And so we've gone through the Beatitudes, and now we're going into a whole new section when we're talking about how we live toward man. So this is Matthew 6, 1 through 4, which can be found on the inside of your bulletin. Hear the words of the Lord. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The word of the Lord. It started out great, as most initiatives do. A simple couple who wanted to serve the Lord, and they were good at it. They had compassion for God's people. He could preach the word with power and conviction, and slowly their ministry grew. The intention was to bless and serve the people. Indeed, this evangelist's son, Jay, says, I remember my dad always seating a mentally handicapped man in the front row and hugging him. And when vandals burned an African-American church down, Dad made sure its parishioners got the funds to rebuild. His goal was to make PTL, short for Praise the Lord, a place where anyone with a need could walk in off the streets and have that need met. Well, things started to go south for Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. As their ministry got larger and larger, the adulation of the crowd got stronger and stronger. And the original design of PTL began to be warped inside of itself. As Jim and Tammy Faye Baker began to live, not for the praise of God, but rather for the praise of man. And began to take the money that was coming in, in droves for personal things rather than for the ministry of the Lord. By the time it all came crashing down, Baker had 47 bank accounts, six luxury homes, a $1.9 million salary, a Rolls Royce, and Mercedes-Benz cars. Richard Dorch, the senior vice president of PTL, said it was pride, arrogance, and secrets that led to the PTL scandal. Dorch said the men in PTL leadership felt they were above accountability. They felt specially called by God and accountable only to Him. He said they didn't plan the scandal, Instead, it was the natural result for living for oneself rather than God. This is the part that chills me. While most people never face temptations on the same scale, the ingredients for seemingly smaller failures are the same. Who of us have not experienced the temptation of the roar of the crowd? Especially in the area of religious service. In fact, I think it's one of the most dangerous places where we're giving and loving and being accountable to God and yet people start to look at what we're doing. Indeed, they start to laud us and we begin to enjoy the applause of the crowd even more than the praise of God. 
How do we escape this whirlpool? Greater men, greater women than you and I have fallen prey to it. How can we do the right thing for the right reason and not plunge into temptation like these unfortunate people? Well, Jesus shows us the formula of what to do in this very passage. For he says, when you give, let not your right hand know what your left hand is doing. So what you do may be done in secret, and your heavenly Father, seeing this, will reward you. Jesus in this passage teaches us great truth, that service done for the right reason is worship. But service done for the wrong reason is idolatry. Well, I want to unpack that statement. That's what this sermon is all about. Service done for the right reason, which is worship. Not service done for the wrong reason, which is idolatry. The first thing we need to talk about is, number one, the wrong reason for giving. Why we shouldn't give. Then we're going to talk about my second point, the right motive for giving. So the wrong reason for giving, then the right motive for giving. And then finally, we're going to talk about my third point, which is beautiful, the true gift of giving. So let's unpack this statement. Jesus begins talking about the wrong reason for giving. He says, beware of practicing righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now this word beware, whenever Jesus says beware, pay attention. Because an alarm bell is going off somewhere. In fact, this word beware actually uh, denotes a continuous state of readiness. Watch out. Another phrase for it would be, be on guard. Now, if you've ever seen the sword players, when they go and what do they say? On guard. Be ready. Watch out. Watch out for what? He says, beware of practicing righteousness. Now, notice what we're talking about. Indeed, the translation would be doing righteousness. It's some sort of action. It's something that you're putting into play. And in fact, it doesn't really fully specify what this righteousness is. Thinks it's a broad spectrum of things that are being done, that are being said, services that you're doing. Now, is he warning against doing good things? No. What he's warning against is for whom you are doing these things. He says, be careful, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. See, there are actually three sets of people going on in this example that Jesus is giving. The first set is the person or people who are giving mercy. Then the other group is the people or person that is receiving mercy. They're on the receiving end. But then there's a third group. Those who are watching this exchange take place. Now who's the most important group of people in this story? It should be the people receiving mercy, right? They're the ones in need. There's the ones who are having trouble and are downtrodden and desperately need someone to come alongside them and care for them. But the truth of the matter is this, that the most important people to the ones who are giving mercy is not those people. Rather, it's the people who are watching them. For they are doing it, as the scriptures say, in order to be seen by them. In fact, truth be told, these acts of mercy wouldn't be done if that other group wasn't there. That group who's watching is the whole reason why these acts of mercy are being done in the first place. See, this is showing us that these people who are doing righteousness don't love people. They rather love the limelight. They're doing the right thing for the wrong reason. And so what does Jesus say? He says... When you give, 
Don't sound the trumpet like hypocrites in the synagogue and streets, that they may be praised by others. Okay, this we wouldn't understand this as much, though we do. It's actually a religious reference. And when there was a need in the synagogue, they would blow the trumpet. And indeed, the priests and people in the synagogue would go out into the streets and they'd blow the trumpet saying there is a need. There's a financial need. And people would come out to follow the sound of the trumpets. And the first people who would come out were obviously the most pious. Indeed, everyone would come out, but who would be the first to come out? To lead the charge to the sanctuary, to give. Those were the ones that Jesus was talking about. All too often, it was the most religious of religious, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But Jesus is saying that you don't sound the trumpet before you as if to show, I'm going, I'm going to give. Pay attention, everyone. In fact, Jesus calls them hypocrites. We're familiar with that word, but its denotation back in this time, a hypocrite was actually an actor. You would say, I'm going to the theater to watch the hypocrites. Because what they would do is back then they would wear a mask. And they would pretend to be someone they were not. And so you'd go and you'd watch the hypocrites perform a play. Now it wasn't a rude thing to say because obviously everybody understood what they were doing. They weren't wearing a mask. But what Jesus is saying is that these people who are acting like this are actually doing the same thing. Their mask is this symbol and sign of true piety. But it's simply a mask. Jesus had these words for the, for the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. He said, you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Everything they do is for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. Everything that they're doing, the ostentation, the little things, the tassels, which were prayer tassels, they make them long so they can walk around rubbing them. The phylacteries, which were these little boxes, leather boxes, you would wear one on your hand and you would wear one on your head, which contained scripture. They make the leather thongs long so everyone could see that they were wearing their phylacteries. See, what was the motivation of these people? And what is the motivation that Jesus is warning against? The praise of man. That they and we can want the praise of man more than God. That the audience in which we're acting for is the people. See, the issue of these people and for us is this. It's not about the hand. The issue is about the heart. God cares about the heart even more than the hand, because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and the hand acts. We see Jesus expanding our understanding of the law when he talks about, you've heard that it is said, do not murder. But I say to you that whoever has evil thoughts in their heart has done the same. Or when he says, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, the man who has looked at a woman lustfully has already done it in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the person acts. See, how are they getting attention and praise? This one's very interesting. How are they getting the limelight? Why aren't they doing evil stuff? Because they don't want to be infamous. They want to be famous. 
And the most praise they can get and we can get is when we act like God. Holy and righteous. Merciful and giving. But the truth of the matter is the mask that we're wearing is masquerading as God to get the praise of man. See, there's, we're not the first people to do this, are we? There was one who was called the Angel of Light, Lucifer, the bright morning star. The one who went ahead and masqueraded himself. In fact, Jesus even said that, didn't he? For Satan himself masquerades as an agent of light. Because ultimately, Satan wanted the praise of man instead of the praise of God. And so we do the same thing. If I make myself look godly, maybe they'll treat me like God too. The goal at the end of the day of these people and of us if we're not careful is not to honor God. It's rather to take God's place. And what is the result? What is the, uh, the payoff, if you will? The reward is this. It's not from the Father. We see that he says that the reward is from man. In fact, you've already received it. You wanting the adulation of the crowd. Well, guess what? God lets you have your reward. The adulation and praise of the crowd is certainly not from God. In fact, the scripture, this Greek word actually means paid in full. It's an economic term. When you were done, you would be paid, you know, if you had a bill or something like that. So the point here is this. You get your reward, but it's an uncertain reward, isn't it? The crowd is fickle. You're on top one day, you're nobody the next day. You see, one day you're a hero, the next day you're a dropout. And this adulation becomes like a drug. I need more. I've got to get my fix. I can't get what I need. You ever wonder this? Why do retiring athletes come back? Why do actresses, aging actresses and actors do completely ridiculous and dumb things? Now, I'm not saying all athletes come back for this reason, but the truth of the matter is when you've lived in the limelight for so long, you miss it. You miss the adulation and the joy of the crowd. And so if your name's Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, or Jimmy Swagger, or Ted Haggard, or Robert Tilton, You've experienced the adulation of the crowd, and it's eaten you up from the inside. Have you ever done the right thing for the wrong reason? Your Christianity, you started out serving and loving others, and you were praised for what you were doing. And the adulation of the crowd hooked you. Maybe you needed to start showing more, being more religious and pious than the next person. And then all of a sudden, one day, all of your life is simply on display for man to see. And you become that which you hate the most, a hypocrite. How can we know? Here's a good question. Here's how you know. When you and I are doing good, are we looking around? Who's watching me? In fact, are we putting ourselves in a position where we can what do we do? What do we do? The thing that we must do is we must realize that you and I are as susceptible as the bakers to craving adulation 
and exploiting others to get it. We must realize that we are not above that. And so we must watch out. Examine the motives of our heart. Shine a light inside. And we must respond, taking whatever means necessary. Because if we don't beware, we will ultimately end up in an endless cycle of performance, justifying to our worshipers why we should be worshipped. At the core, service for the wrong reason is idolatry. But service for the right reason is worship. Well, that's all about the wrong reason for giving. Let's move into the right motive for giving. Jesus says, when you give, do not let your right hand know what your right, uh, left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So Jesus is saying, act in a totally different way. Instead of blowing the trumpet, act in silence. Instead of summoning a crowd, make sure there's no crowd. In fact, you don't even be a part of the crowd. Not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Okay, now obviously that's not possible. But Jesus is trying to communicate, be even careful that you are not a crowd to yourself. Walking away feeling smug for what I have done. So if I'm not watching and the crowd is not watching, then who is watching? There's only one person who sees our heart. See, it's God who looks upon our actions and our heart. He knows our heart. And He is the audience of one when there is no other crowd. See, both of these different groups, they're performing the same act. But they're doing it for a different motive. Now, first of all, we have to ask ourselves, isn't this a contradiction that Jesus is giving here? Because in Matthew 5, just one chapter later, one chapter before, He says, You are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. So which is it, Jesus? Are we supposed to show our good deeds or are we supposed to keep them in secret? No, Jesus is speaking in these two actions in a different context. The first one, if you remember, Jesus is talking about no one takes a light and puts it under a bushel. See, the first problem with the first group is cowardice. They're afraid of being connected with God. They're afraid of being associated, of showing forth His praise. But what does He say? He says, let your light shine so that they may see your Father and praise your good deeds in heaven. See, in this particular context, He's saying, watch out that your pride doesn't take over, so do it in secret. But ultimately, the motive is the exact same for the praise of God rather than the praise for ourselves. Because giving done for the right reason is to worship. So he says to give. Our giving and our action and our service is not only done though for God. It's actually done to God. Jesus tells the story in Matthew 25 of when at the end judgment time. And he's on the throne and he separates people. The sheep on one side and the goats on the other. And he speaks to the sheep and he says come. You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. 
I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothed you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it for me. See, when we give, we worship, we're giving not only for the Lord, we're giving to the Lord himself. One of the things I love about this whole passage is it doesn't say how big or how small is this gift of giving and service that we need to do. In fact, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who even gives a cup of cold water in my name will certainly not lose his reward. So what's the difference between these two groups? The difference is this relationship. Here we see the words, but when you give to the needy and your father, your father, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, the difference with the second group that are doing the right thing for the right reason is this, that they grasp the love of God. That he's not only out there, but he's actually my father. See, the first group is acting out of insecurity. The ones who want the adulation of the crowd. But the second group is acting out of security. The first group wants to get approval. But the second group has already received approval. The first group is realizing that my relationship with the crowd is based on my action. But the second group understands that my relationship with my Heavenly Father is based on His action. The first group wants to get, but the second group has already received. And so the first group operates out of fear, but the second group operates out of love. Now some of you may say, well isn't this the same thing? Isn't this mercenary? I mean, aren't you at the end of the day just wanting to get a reward? Just from God instead of from people? C.S. Lewis had some very neat things to say about this. What he said is, there are some rewards that are mercenary, and that are, there are some that are a fruitful fulfillment of the act itself. So for instance, if you wanted to get married, but your ultimate goal was to get money from her, and you feigned love for her so you could get her money, that reward would be mercenary. Or if you were a student who was studying hard, and you were granted a silver cup as a reward, you were studying to get the cup, that's mercenary. Instead, a scholarship would make sense, for that is the fulfillment, if you will, of what you've done. In the same way, the true reward is the fulfillment of an actual service and love for God. A deeper understanding of our Father who has loved us and a deeper understanding of love, watching those who are needed be filled with the love of our service. See, the reward from our Father is a rightful consummation of our actions, while the reward of the first group is pure mercenary evil. Many of us remember this beautiful, diminutive woman, Mother Teresa, who lived in Calcutta and did one of the most thankless jobs of all. She was famous by the end of her life, but at one time, she was not famous. She certainly didn't go to Calcutta because she wanted to be famous. But one of the things that we love about Mother Teresa is as her popularity and notoriety 
her, her fame grew, she didn't succumb to the limelight. She didn't stop serving so she could get the adulation of the crowd and hit the speaker's circuit. But she gave to the poorest of the poor. Mother Teresa understood this point, that we must have the conviction, this is her words, that in serving the poor, we serve God. God is love. He loves you and me. If we love others as He loves us, it becomes evident that Christ is in the poor and lonely. The certainty of this reality is boundless for me. Mother Teresa said, being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everyone, I think that is a much greater hunger, a much greater poverty than the person who has nothing to eat. And so there is a double advantage in serving the poor, whether in food or in loneliness. We can give to the Lord who needs nothing, yet accepts our gifts gratefully because it is made to one in need who represents Him. And two, when giving to the poor, we give to persons who cannot reward us or return the gift to us so that we receive the gift in heaven as promised by God. Mother Teresa gave out of the love of God, her Heavenly Father, that had for her. The question for you and me is this, which group are we in? The first group that loves the crowd, or the second group that has our own Heavenly Father? See, the second group, it's out of relationship. Why do you and I serve and give? Is it to get something, or is it because we've already received? Do we give because of the emptiness of our heart or the overflow of our heart? Maybe right now we don't serve or give at all, that our hearts are just empty. Mother Teresa said this, without asking God for love, we cannot possess love, and still less are we able to give. And so you and I must understand that we have a Heavenly Father who has limitless resources, limitless love, and limitless praise for us as children. God, our Father, has all we need. Do you see God as the Father, or see Him as your Father? So we must come to God. We must rest in Him as a child in His Father's arms, not squirming and struggling to get out, but rather calming our soul. We must call Him our Father when we pray to Him. We must read and pour over His Scriptures so we can see the words of love that He has for us. We must be still and know that He is God. Because if we cultivate our relationship with God, like the great farmer in a garden, we will begin to live in security. And our giving will be a response out of love, not out of taking. Service done wrong is idolatry. But service done for the right reason is worship. This brings me to my third and final point, the true gift of giving. This all sounds fantastic, Carlos. It sounds beautiful and idealistic. But how do I live this way, day after day, where I've experienced the lure of the crowd, and they're here, and the Father is invisible, so how do I stop from running after them and seeking that praise? Indeed, we all do it, myself included. 
You know, this is one of the most dangerous places to stand right here. It's easy to transfer my love for God and love for the people when you did such a great job. Living for the praise of the fickle crowd. See, there's one who has gone before us who demonstrates how we should live. His name was Jesus Christ. He knew his Father. Indeed, he called him my Father. He was the first one to do it. Everyone else, no one would say that. He was the Father. Maybe if you were brave, our Father. But Jesus said he's my Father. That was blasphemy for everyone. But Jesus, because he knew his Father and he loved his Father, his life was a life of service to his Father. Jesus said, the one who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And so Jesus came in secret, not in fanfare. Isaiah 42, in which God speaks of God, uh, Jesus says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. And so the Son of God was born a helpless baby in a manger in the middle of a little <coughs> dusty town that most people had never heard of. Jesus did his acts of mercy for people in secret, healing them and then telling them, don't tell anyone. Simply go to the priests and show yourselves to them. See, Jesus was the ultimate servant. He said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers lorded over people, but not so with you, disciples. For whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Indeed, even the Son of Man did not come to serve, be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for men. How do we resist the adulation of the crowd? We can only resist because Jesus did. Indeed, they wanted to make him king. But he knew his mission was to glorify his Father and not himself. See, Jesus is also called the morning star. But he was the true morning star, not the one that masqueraded. And the point is that this one, Jesus the Christ, who has lived this perfect life, and shown what it means to love the Father in us. And Jesus shows us the Father. Jesus shows us the love of the Father. That God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So how can we give? We can give because He gave. How can we love? We can love because He loves fix our eyes on Jesus, Jesus will show us how to love. For the cross is the ultimate symbol of worship and service. When you're empty, my friends, don't go chasing after the crowd. They won't fill your hearts with what you need. Go to Christ. Fill me, Lord. Show me my Father. That's exactly why He came. When you're tempted to use people to receive praise. Go to God, your Father, to receive the praise that only He can give you. Hunger for His love, and He will give you the love and power to serve for the right reason, having the overflow of God's love.
tell you the truth, Jesus said, whatever you do for these people's purpose, do for you. Service done for the wrong reason is idolatry. But service done with the right heart for the right reason is worship. May God's grace let be those people. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you yourself have gone before us. That while we were unlovable, while we gambled for your clothes at the foot of the cross, you served us with your very lifeblood. Lord, we thank you that you have ransomed us to yourself and you have adopted us through Jesus Christ. You are our Father and you have everything we need. Help us to stop squirming, to sit still, to stop reaching vainly for the praise of man through the false actions of you. But to receive from you that we need to give out of the overflow of our heart to truly love people as you are. All of this we pray in Christ's name.